Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you become a missionary disciple in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio today is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Hey, Kit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I hope that you're having a very blessed day. You can catch the Bridge Builder Show right here each week at the same time. But if you miss an episode or want to catch up on past episodes, just visit us at mncatholic.org slash podcast. Again, that's mncatholic.org slash podcast. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Each week, we bring you great interviews on some of the major imp- issues impacting how we live our faith in public life. We'll also answer your questions in our mailbag segment, and you can email those to us at show at mncatholic.org. Again, show at mncatholic.org, or connect with us on social media. And it wouldn't be the bridge builder if we didn't bring you a practical way that you can start laying the bricks to build the common good brick by brick. Today we have a great guest. Dr. John Cutteback is professor of philosophy at Christendom College in Front Royal, Virginia. Dr. Cutteback writes regularly about the philosophy of the household on his blog, Bacon from Acorns, now called Lifecraft. He's written extensively on a number of topics in the realm of philosophy, friendship, moral theology, and public life. Dr. Cutteback, welcome to the Bridge Builder Show. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. You have written about the household, and you've been really carving out a niche in the Catholic intellectual world, uh, talking about the family, the household, running the household. What is the household as, a, as opposed to a home, family life, et cetera, et cetera? What, is it, what does that mean concretely? Yeah, well, I, I, I like Jason to go back. I first kind of discovered this in, in studying the ancient philosophers who have so much to offer us. You know, early Christians noticed uh, very early on that, that God had given us a great gift in the natural wisdom available uh, through the light of natural reason, and that one of the things they talk about a bit in looking at the good life is the importance of this kind of fundamental natural community. This is kind of a gift of nature. There's a design in nature for this community that they call, particularly Aristotle, focus on this, it's a, it's a community of daily life. And so when you say what's the, what's the a household difference, a household is, is more than just a family, because you could see yourself as a family related by blood without focusing on a community that lives together every day. When you talk about a household, we're talking about a small community of people that are forging a life together in a daily way, in a daily place, with daily activities that unite them. So when I talk about the decline of the household, it's the decline of this particular kind of community as a place where much of life can and should be going on. People might be wondering why we're talking about the household in a show about uh, ostensibly about politics and public life. But as they say, as the family goes, so goes the culture. But you're pointing out that the decline of the family which, of course, is an indisputable sociological reality, has its roots in the demise of the household and that the renewal of family life requires a renewal of the household. Help us dive into that re- concept a little bit more. What do you mean there, and what are, what's yeah. the connection? Any kind of life takes a context where it can thrive. It's an obvious aspect of the divine plan that human life thrives, especially, especially when it has this, very congenial daily context of this strong community of people 
that forge their life again daily. And when we talk about this not going on so much, there's, there's, there's a lot of things here that we, we, we can't, uh, we don't need to spend the time to analyze, gosh, why has this happened? I mean, it has a lot to do with the Industrial Revolution and first moving fathers and husbands away from the household and then also wives and mothers. We're now they're out there participating in an economy that has in so many ways become an alien thing to the household. Traditionally, economy was something very much that was practiced in and through the household. The household was the very name economy, comes from the order of the household. But we in our life today have kind of created this beast of an economy that not only is kind of separate from the household, but in so many ways tears us away from it. So I like to just think in terms of how do we try to put energy back in towards the household rather than this, all the centrifugal forces pulling us out of the household, fathers, mothers, and then in so many ways now also children with all the activities, so often that their education and their sports and their entertainment and on and on are all things to become alienated and remote from and weak in the household. How can we put energy back into bringing that community back to life. You've really preempted my next question, which got to that idea that the Greek word for economics is oikos, meaning the household, the same root as ecology. And we have such a division between the household, economic life, and the environment. So many of our political debates are pitting the environment versus economic development. Is a recovering a sense of that oikos, the household, and, and its roots and, and its relationship to the economy and to ecology, stitching those things back together? Is there a sense that the household can be the bridge by which we rethink the compartmentalized nature of these aspects of our lives and bring them together in yeah. a unified, integrated sort of way? That's, that's a great way, of, great way of putting it. You know, I have to give credit to one author that I've read, Wendell Berry. He, he, he writes of how the household is, is the is the fundamental and first place where human persons should come in contact with and learn to take care of the natural world. And so it, it, it really it is that the household is a place for work, it's a place for, quote, economy, and it's a place for ecology. As you said, it's a, it's, it's a place for stewardship of the natural world, and, and th- these things are connected. If there's more rich work that's going on in the household, then that work will be a context to connect us to people, to connect us to our own bodies, to connect us to the natural world. And so in many ways, it is a matter of reconnecting. I mean, the modern world, our life today, in so many ways, can be characterized by disconnectedness, by alienation, and by then the associated kind of loneliness not having a sense of belonging. Household is a natural place. Again, it's a gift from God. When, when we kind of follow the natural plan for it, it's a place where these things are woven together for us. We learn that we belong. We belong to one another. We belong to a place. We belong in this natural world. 
We're speaking with Dr. John Cudabak. He's professor of philosophy at Christendom College and writes extensively on the idea of the household and the recovery of the household uh, on his blog, Bacon from Acorns, now called Lifecraft. And he'll share a little bit more with us about that at, toward the end of our discussion today. But if, if Dr. Cudabak, if we talk about uh, politics or the, the polis being a family of families, um, the family being the cornerstone or that first building block of society, uh, renewing the household, renewing the family life. How can we in our own families start to begin to renew the polis just by what we do in the household and in family life? Yeah, well, in, in, in a word, you've already said the key principle right there, that the main way that most of us can be contributing to a renewal of the broader society is precisely by working on what is right here in our own direct control. It's, a kind of, it's part of the principle of subsidiarity. This is what's right here at hand, particularly as in so many ways culture and civilization are coming apart. It's, 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 a good, it's an encouraging reminder to us, here is something that God still puts in our power to focus on. And it's not as though it's completely in our power in so many ways still the culture and cultural habits and customs and through technology, the, the walls of our homes have become so permeable. It's not, I'm not in any way saying it's easy, but it is something that is kind of right there in our purview, that we can say, this is where the renewal begins. And so, for instance, if we're married, we can be talking, this can be a fundamental object of deliberation with our spouse of how are we making this community vibrant, alive, faith-filled, joyful, uh, in, 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 because that's what's more directly given to us. And by doing that, we set an example for others. We, or it, it, it's a beginning that, that can spread. But, you know, whether it spreads, it, it, it's to some extent in God's hands. But what's more given to us directly is, yeah, this is our responsibility. So much anxiety, so much worry, so much time spent wondering what's going on in Washington when the renewal of the political culture, when our political life might begin tilling our own corner of the vineyard yeah. a little bit more. People are uh, often forgetting that, and as they get wrapped up in national politics, uh, uh, it's not even that they're not paying attention to local politics. Is perhaps we're not even focusing on the renewal of the household as modeling a better type of community. A- a- amen. And Jason, you know, one thing I really like to emphasize is especially uh, appealing to men. I think in so many ways, part of the toxic situation of the normal expectations of our society is that especially, even among conservatives, that men um, still think in terms of kind of their place being outside the home, their place being going out there and doing things. And there is a, a, a real basis for that. But we're missing that the renewal of the household in so many ways, often the big difference is going to be, is the husband and father willing to make this be central to his identity, central to his life project. I mean, so many, so many men kind of following a, a, the, the pressures of the day put such an emphasis on our career and profession, which obviously has its importance. But the career and profession should fundamentally be going back to building up, leading back to the building up of the household. And if it's not, then we need to take a very close look at that career and profession and ask, what's the point? 
why are we doing that? What, what is the primary object here? What, what are we most trying as a man to build, to bring about? What am I most taking responsibility for? So I love the theme of encouraging men, take responsibility for the household. As man of the household, you have a special, unique, and I say first responsibility to say, what am I doing to make this be a vibrant community and all the different things that need to go into that? We need to have a plan and we need to give that attention. We're speaking with Dr. John Cutterback. He's professor of philosophy at Christendom College and uh, has written quite a bit on the idea of the renewal of the household. Professor Kudabak, you are not simply talking about the household in the abstract, but you're actually giving people concrete ways of doing and living the things that you're saying are so important. So you've got a, you've had a blog, Bacon from Acorns, and now have expanded it under the new name of LifeWorks. Why did you do that? And, and tell us a little bit about some of the practical wisdom you hope to provide, bringing together stewardship, um, family practices, uh, ecology, but also that concept, like you were mentioning earlier, of man of the household. In my household here, we raise pigs in the, in the forest, and it was a great gift of recognizing how God has designed things, that you just put the pigs under the oak trees, and, the, and they produce the most, by eating the acorns, they produce the most amazing pork. And for me, that was just kind of a sign of when we're willing to look to what the natural plan is and follow it, we can receive so much that we wouldn't have thought. So Bacon from Acorns was, was originally my blog, and uh, I've expanded that, so that URL still works, but now it's life-craft, life-craft.org, and that because I'm expanding also to talk about other ways that we need to be applying our wisdom, our reason, to think about how to craft a good life. And Man of the Household is one of the kind of flagship things that I'm doing there. And I've, I've, I've created a plan. It's a plan that's it's a, it's a free download at the website for men of how to think in very concrete terms about reinvesting themselves in their household. Men, men need a plan. If we're going to take responsibility for something, we need to be able to conceptualize what we're doing. And so I'm trying to uh, offer help here to men especially, though it's, it's, it's good for women to understand this also, in other words, through a man's eyes. And then, of course, it essentially needs to be worked out with the genius of man and the genius of women working together to make that household plan work. But I, we, we need concrete things. I make suggestions like choose one or two works that will be done in the household. Is it gardening? Is it carpentry? and make that be kind of a feature of the household. It brings the household together. It connects us to the earth. It connects us to one another. Think in terms of what are we doing to cultivate leisure? How are we addressing the technology question in our household? These are concrete things that so often, again, especially men, don't take the time to focus on, and we need to step up. And that's a great way of serving our wives, working with our wives, and serving our children, too. Do you have any suggestions for those of us whose man quotient is a little bit lower than yours? Uh, I'm not raising pigs quite yet under oak trees. Um, I'm not into carpentry. In fact, uh, I've got very few man skills. <laughs> so what what's the way in which we can start transitioning? I mean, the thought of trying to take on another craft or practice when you're already managing the kids and home life and professional life and paying the bills, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. How, do, how does one even begin to to renew the household in that great, sense? Great, great question, and, and, and I'd say, I'd, I'd put it this way, see it not as a new thing, but as something that's going to be 
another or even better way, perhaps, of doing some of the things that we're trying to already do. For instance, if we're doing something, what are we doing with the children? The, the, to look for rich ways to interact with them. Maybe rather, I mean, it's great to go out and play ball, but, but very often I think children actually find richer interaction when they are involved in something fruitful and productive. And so you, it, it, we, don't, we don't have to immediately go for the things that most traditionally are considered manly. I mean, I very much appreciate your point there. But, I mean, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something about Xenophon from the ancient world. He said, anybody can put seeds in the ground and start to grow something. You don't, have to, you don't have to have a green thumb. You don't have to have studied the art. Certain things like that are ready to hand. I'm not saying everyone has to have a garden, but even in small ways. To, to start to do things, to, to produce something from the earth, even if we're in an apartment, even if it's just that tomato plant on the patio. Things like that are we can cultivate. I, I think there is a kind of primacy to things with our hands. But, I mean, can, again, there can be intellectual things, too. It's, it's just getting in the mindset of, of what richer activities, hopefully at least in some sense, are productive of something that we can do together. And, and it's... It, it's it will often be better than the ways we already have been interacting with the people in our household. And if we want to talk about a renewal of the natural law, what a better way to do it than to grow something, that to, experience, to experience the natural law, not as a set of abstract commands, but really that participation in God's prov- providential ordering of creation. So I think that's yeah. a beautiful analogy that well, it can uh, be easy as throwing some seeds in the ground, which I can do, by the way. Indeed, I'm sure. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure you were selling yourself a little, a little short there. But a little I, hyperbole I, I, for a good question, right? I, I'm, yeah. and, 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 I, and I appreciate the question. I mean, even something like drawing. But I do want to push men a little bit. It's not a matter of trying to pretend to be, you know, Mr. Manly Man. It's just it's taking a hard-nosed, hey, we're, we're bodily beings. Our, our children want to do bodily rich things. I mean, very often we and they need to spend less time on our technology that abstract us, that often disconnect us from one another, from the world, from our bodies. So thinking in terms of those very concrete things get us back in our bodies, in the world, with them, and they make our home come alive. There's a lot of frustration and anger, I think, um, in the sense that out there, in this, especially among men, in the sense that we don't feel empowered. We feel like our destiny and our, um, our control of the future has been taken away from us by forces that are outside of our control. Um, we have to fight the culture wars, for example, but we're losing the culture wars. Right. But I think what you're prescribing is less about fighting for the family than being the family. And is this a way in which maybe we can sort of take back <laughs> in, in one sense and, and relieve ourselves of that anger, that stress, that anxiety, and really take ownership in a new way that perhaps we haven't been because we've been, uh, our political agency in one way is denied to us. But what you're recommending is really a regaining of our real political agency through renewal of the household. A- 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 amen. I-, I-, I think that's a great way of putting it, Jason. I and mean, just let's go to the biblical line. I mean, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, this is, this is what we're going to do. This is a hopeful view. This is in our power. It's positive. This is how God is blessing us. We're called to live in the age in which we are. This remains in our power. We're called to be faithful, even if not successful. There's some things that we'll try that won't seem to have been successful, 
but even just by having been faithful in trying to build up our household, we are doing a great thing. There's so, it, it, it's, in these, it's in these little things. These little things are being taken away from us. In a sense, things are so bad that just by doing these simple things, putting seeds in the ground, raking leaves together, reading out loud together, hiking in the mountains together, uh, going for a walk in the woods, trying to draw, studying art, listening to good music, it, reading that story out loud in the home. They're such simple things, but it's making a huge, bold stroke for the good life, for faith. Indeed, recovering a sense of that interior freedom uh, as well and living that living that vocation joyfully. So that's beautiful. We could sit and talk all day, Dr. Kudabak. This is fantastic. Uh, where can our listeners go to learn more about renewing the household and, and your good work in this area? Well, thank, thanks again. It's baconfromacorns.com, as well as the new name is life-craft.org. Both of those would get, URLs will go to, to my website. I've got a section on man of the household. got a section on true friendship. got a section on, on stewardship of the natural world with an emphasis on practical things we can do in the home and a little section on good work. So I like to make very concrete suggestions, simple things that are in all of our power to make our household a little bit more, I think, the way that God intended them to be. Bacon from Acorns, it's the blog and website of Dr. John Cuddeback, who is professor of philosophy at Christendom College. And what a pleasure to have you on today, Dr. Cuddeback. Thanks for a great conversation, and God bless your ongoing work uh, bringing this great vision to more and more people. My pleasure, and God bless your work, too. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks so much, and we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to delve into our Bridge Builder mailbag segment to hear what comments and questions you've been sending to our producer, Kit Cross. Kit, what have you got in today's segment? Yeah, so as we mentioned at the start of the show, we're talking about the split legislature. The House is controlled by the Democratic Party, the Senate's controlled by the Republican Party, and we have a Democrat in the governor's office. We're the only state in this situation with a split legislature. So this says a lot of people on both sides of the aisle kind of feeling like our lawmakers might not get anything past this session. But given that the church and we as Catholics are called to be principled, not partisan, the question is how can we help our legislators come together across these party lines to defend life, dignity, the common good? And are there any examples of how the church and Catholics are doing this already through legislation in Minnesota? Thanks for that question, and it might seem really challenging, like gridlock. Remember that gridlock is a feature, not a bug of our system, because in theory, at least, it's supposed to foster more deliberation about public policies. And so there are all these steps in the process that a piece of legislation has to pass through uh, precisely because we want deliberation. Divided government is not necessarily a bad thing in the sense that it can slow down some of the more extreme policies and uh, initiatives of either of the parties. And as the parties disconnect themselves more and more in a secularizing way to a Christian worldview, we should be, at least on some level, skeptical of some of their grander visions overall. But we have to remember, too, that politics is not always just those big 
things that you read about in the newspaper, those 10 or so issues that take up a lot of ink and a lot of media attention. There are hundreds of pieces of legislation that get passed typically in a legislative session, perhaps not this year here in Minnesota, that involve things that aren't on the media radar, for example. And a lot of those are emblematic of the way in which politics can be a way of incrementally getting things done for human dignity and the common good. And it's and it's really rooted in, again, getting out of that polarizing partisan context and some of those bigger pieces of legislation that have a lot of special interests or money behind them, but really focusing on concrete solutions that impact people in a positive way and reframing things in a nonpartisan perspective. So I want to highlight a couple of things that we worked on in the Minnesota Catholic, for the Minnesota Catholic Conference over the past couple of years. One of them is rethinking the pornography issue. And one is inclined to say, well, that's, you know, puritanical social conservatives versus free speech advocates or libertines on or civil libertarians on the other side. Well, there is a growing consensus that transcends partisan, the partisan divide that unites social conservatives and progressive Democrats on on the other side that recognize that pornography is misogynistic, violent, harmful to those who are engaged in it and is often connected to human trafficking. And so what we did last year, a couple of years ago actually, was bring a bill that connects pornography and human trafficking. And so now in the human trafficking study that is brought to legislators to help them understand why Human trafficking is a problem in our state. Pornography is part of that study. And so in the last report that was issued uh, was the first instance in which pornography was uh, studied as part of a human trafficking problem. And a survey among service providers and law enforcement found that 43% of people who were being trafficked were also involved in the production of pornography. That is absolutely stunning. And so that bill passed unanimously in our legislature in a bipartisan way, and it transcended the typical ways in which that issue is broken down in the media, but is going to be really, really instrumental in, again, curbing the effects of pornography going forward, helping us rethink that issue is not simply something that someone does in private, but a commodification of human persons. I also want to mention another piece of legislation where it seems like the abortion debate in our state has become a a stalemate, like trench warfare, and it really is. But you can break that Gordian knot if you're thinking about prenatal health, if you're thinking about child and maternal health, not just after birth, but in utero as well. There's a growing consensus about brain development and and child well-being, child nutrition, early supports for uh, pregnant women, especially at-risk mothers. And so what better way can we live our pro-life witness than helping identify supports that women need while their child is in the womb? And so it's an implicit recognition of the humanity of that child, that that is a human person that needs nutritional supports, that the mother uh, will need uh, other supports, getting better help, reminding about doctor visits, best practices during pregnancy, et cetera, et cetera. So we had a first 1,000 days set of bills last year at Catholics at the Capitol and three of those four pieces of legislation that we are promoting to help pregnant mothers and help maternal and child well-being in the first 1,000 days of life from conception to age three. Three of those four pieces passed uh, this year and we're looking to, last year, and we're looking to expand on those this year. So that was really, really exciting and, and a way in which you can, in fact, break the Gordian knot of partisanship.
Great, Jason. Those are all really encouraging things that are happening. We want to leave everyone today with some ways that they can start building the bridge between faith and politics. What do you have this week in our bricklayer segment? Well, throughout the legislative session, there are great opportunities to come to the Capitol to advocate for bills that uphold life, dignity, and the common good. But one powerful way to do so is coming up on April 1st, the Joint Religious Legislative Coalition, of which Minnesota Catholic Conference is a sponsor, is hosting its Day on the Hill. We're not doing a Catholics at the Capitol event this year. That'll return spring 2021. But here's one great opportunity. And the, the JRLC is co-sponsored by the Minnesota Catholic Conference, the Minnesota Council of Churches, Jewish Community Relations Council, and the Islamic Center of Minnesota. It's a way in which we buttress our anti-poverty advocacy and do so in an interfaith way. It's a great model for civility and public discourse in the sense that people are put off of politics by polarization, partisanship, et cetera, et cetera. But it's great. The JRLC is great because we can go to the legislature and say, if we can find common ground for the common good among our diverse religious traditions, and we disagree about a lot of things, but we put those issues aside for the sake of finding common ground on questions and issues that really help the poor, the vulnerable, and those truly in need. And so it's a great way that we can witness civility for the common good, finding common ground for the common good. I really encourage people to consider attending the JRLC Day on the Hill, April 1st, jrlc.org for more information. Archbishop Bernard Hebda will be the keynote speaker for that event, which is really, really exciting. And it's going to be a great day if you haven't come to the Capitol if you haven't done advocacy to do so. And again, this year's theme for JRLC Day on the Hill is serving the common good. That's all the time we have for today. But remember, you or your organization can become a sponsor of The Bridge Builder. By doing so, you will help others bring the Catholic faith into public life. Listeners, you can also be part of our mailbag segment. Just send any of your questions or comments to show at mncatholic.org. Again, that's show at mncatholic.org. If you miss a show or want to catch up, remember, go to mncatholic.org slash podcast or search for the Bridge Builder podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kit Cross of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks so much for listening, and have a blessed day.